Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription, trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon show. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. We're going to get a little uh, take us to school today. Uh, the whiskey professor, Bernie Lubbers. Um, I, I mean, there's such a laundry list of things I could go through, Bernie, with uh, the accolades and this uh, this pedigree that you're carrying around. <laughs> Uh, w- world whiskey ambassador, uh, author, bluegrass musician. I mean, I could keep going on and on and on, but people hear enough about me, buddy. How are you? And we're looking forward to this conversation. Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks a lot. Ha- thanks for having me on. And anytime we can talk about Bob and Bond, I'm, I'm on board. I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just loving that the weather's breaking, that the sun's out, it's getting warmer. It looks like there's light at the end of the tunnel. So I think we're all going to get, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you are a, uh, so I mentioned uh, world whiskey ambassador. I think I got that right. Right. For heaven Hill. Oh uh, yeah. I'm the, I'm the, uh, I'm the global brand ambassador, uh, a whiskey ambassador for heaven Hill. There's a couple of, a uh, c- couple more guys on my team, but, uh, but I kind of lead the team and, and it's, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's you know, I get to travel around the country and the world and talk about uh, heaven Hill whiskeys and uh, talk about American whiskeys and, and uh, and we make every style of American whiskey. That's why I'm excited. You wanted to talk about mellow corn too. Well, a- absolutely. And, and I'm a big fan and have been for years. I, I will. Uh, hopefully, this isn't blasphemy. Um, but my house blend. So I've got to get one of those. Uh, what what you call it? A uh, what's the pour that you got over there? The elliptical pour. You see those over in Europe a lot, where they're hanging upside down. Yeah. And you just go up and kind of put your glass underneath there and get a, get a, get a pour. So I'm going to have to invest in one of those for the bar. So for my house brand, I use uh, Old Granddad 114 and Mellow Corn uh-huh. 50/50 as a split. Kind of get a little, uh, kind of uh-huh. stiffen up the uh, the Mellow Corn a little bit. But hey, man, it's, it, it's all good on its own for sure. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so, you know, I've been, I've listened to, I can't tell you how many podcasts I hadn't had a chance to see you in person, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a couple of minutes for folks that uh, if you're not familiar with Bernie, uh, I, I think it's funny as hell, the, the, the story of kind of you getting into, well, let me rephrase that in your first career, uh, it was kind of boring, but then, you know, when, when you left that and then you kind of progressed through a, a job or two, if you take a minute to share with us. Yeah, I started out after college. I worked at a bank here in town uh, for a couple, about two and a half years. And uh, it's funny, I still play uh, poker every month with the guys that still work there at the bank. Uh, uh, they, they, they have a little more money tucked away than I do, but that's okay. I think I went on and uh, a friend of mine put it best that I do play cards with. Uh, he said that, uh, and he retired from the bank with millions of dollars in stocks and all that kind of stuff uh, from the bank. And he said, well, I think Bernie did it right. He retired at 25. Um, did stand-up comedy for 20 years, got into something he loved, and then from stand-up comedy, uh, he now works in a in a business that uh, you know he doesn't feel like he works, and he's he's kind of retired, uh, but but it's still working. So he says, I think he did it the right way. So so yeah, I, I worked at a bank, and then for 20 years, I, I toured the country uh, telling jokes in, in comedy clubs and in theaters and colleges around the country. And then uh, that's kind of how I got started in this because I could stand up in front of people and talk. Uh, 
Mm. So, well, you know, whether it's one person, five people or 5,000 people or 200 people, I can stand up in front of people and talk and they kind of needed that. And at the time, they're, they're the only ambassadors really for distilleries were the family members or the distillers themselves. And they started needing more help. So thank goodness, uh, good timing stepped in and serendipity or else I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> nice. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, I think that's just a, a cool as hell story. I mean, you go from one being, you know, I don't know how many people want to be a stand up comic in, in their in their life or career, but it's uh, it's definitely not an easy job. And you know, if you, you if you've listened to some of the documentaries, et cetera, about some of the other folks that have kind of you know made it through their way and, and, and gone on to acting and such. And and in a way, you've kind of done that. Right. I mean, you you're just uh, you're telling you're telling a true story every time. Uh, versus playing, uh, you know, playing a fictional character. So I, I think that's uh, that, that that's a hell of a way to wind up and doing something that you want to do and you can have a good time at. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and um, you know, comedy was awesome. I started in 18, 1985, so I was right there at the beginning of the of the comedy boom, and I started in Bourbon right in the 2005, uh, right before the the uh, several years before the boom of uh, Bourbon. So I've kind of got good timing. It's been really a lot of fun. And it's uh, and I, I still keep in touch with my comedy friends and uh, they're always asking me, you know, my life really hasn't changed much. I just I stay in nicer hotels now is all. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm, and I'm going to I'm going to kind of push us into the, the bourbon scene or the the uh, the bourbon conversation a little heavier. But just to play on that. So when you were uh, when you were doing stand up. Did you write all your own material or was it was that all kind of life reflections, experiences, et cetera? And then and then I'll kind of push that into because uh, if you go to uh, whiskeyprof.com, you've got some whiskey courses and and the whole demeanor, the, the whole premise kind of as I take it and 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 your your career or your passion or ambition towards the whiskey world has really been about educating people. Um, and, and again, it's kind of real life for, you know, things that happen that, that are real. So if you might take us back from those comedy days and then, and then push us through to the, to the bourbon experience. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I, I talk, talk about everyday life and you know, just, you know, my experiences and my family and the, the last, uh, the closing piece in my act was always about my father who drank a quart of bourbon a day. Oh, wow. And, you know, that's quite, and it was like a 10, 15 minute piece, you know, and, uh, you know, but that's it, you know, they don't, um, and that's what he told the doctor. So, you know, then he always lying, you know, he drank more than that. Right. I mean, if you're going to get to a court, you know, you know, it's more. And I said, he lived to be 94 because he was pickled. He wasn't going anywhere. You know, I said that um, cancer can't exist in a bourbon ridden environment. Right. So I'm going to try that. So I just went on and on. And it was the end of my uh, show. And uh, it was a closing piece. And I would tell people in the crowd, hey, order a bourbon. We're going to do a toast to my dad right mm -hmm. at the end. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, probably in comedy clubs, there was only Jim Beam, Wild Turkey and Maker's Mark back then, you know, and there was some Jack Daniels and crown Royal, but still I didn't care what they ordered as long as they ordered something. And, and, uh, we toasted my dad. And so, uh, that's how it kind of got started. And the guys, a couple of guys over at Jim Beam, uh, they, they heard that I was doing that and here I'm talking to, you know, a couple thousand people a week and, uh, Hey, why don't you order Jim Beam from stage? You know? And I was like, well, I don't care what we order. That's great. You know, I said, so, so, um, you know, it kind of got me introduced to him and I was doing some, you know, emceeing and some, you know, some uh, fundraising efforts as a comedian with this group. And so I was kind of connected with a lot of the distilleries and, and that. And so, cause they would cut, they would have bourbon and do tastings, uh, even though it was before the bourbon boom, 
uh, you know, it's Kentucky. So we've, sure. it's always been a bourbon boom in Kentucky. It's <laughs> that we've never not. Uh, um, so I guess how I got to, to be known um, by them. And then they, there was a job that came available in uh, 2005 and it was just doing events and promotions in the state of Kentucky for, uh, for Jim Beam. And so I interviewed for, they, they, they wanted me, but he has still got to interview and get the job. Right. So, so I interviewed, right. I got the job. And then, um, then I started noticing and like, you know, Hey, I, I want to do more than just, you know, this, this one run of events and promotions, those jobs don't last, but for six months or a year is whenever the budget runs out. So I was just thinking, you know, how can I, how can I capital, how can I capitalize on this? Or, um, you know, how can I exploit this, this industry and really kind of get my, I've got my foot in the door. I got the, I got the faucet dripping. How do I get it flowing? You know, and how do I get my whole body in the door? Mm. And I was like, you know, I, so I, I always wrote my own presentations as I did as a, as a, as a comedian, I did. And so I like, I'm a writer, you know, that's where the book came from and that, but yeah. you know, so I started writing my own presentations through, through my own sense of humor in there. And it caught the attention of folks uh, that were uh, with the knob with in the same company with knob Creek and the small batch. And they noticed a little uptick about 2006, 2007 of sales. And so, um, you know, that's when Whitford reserve and knob Creek were kind of really kind of leading the way for that. And uh, so they, and then, real good uh, timing and serendipity came in uh fred no who i was working with jim beam's uh, great grandson booker no son and the great fred no uh, one of my great mentors his face went on the side of the jim beam bottle as the seventh generation distiller hmm. and he was going to do a whole year promotional tour you know from japan and china and australia and all over europe and the united states so he was going to be busy with jim beam so they needed somebody to talk about uh, Knob Creek in the small batch. <clears throat> and so that's how myself and two other gentlemen got hired as the first uh, ambassadors for whiskeys other than a family member, which I didn't think about till years later. I would have been scared shitless if I'd known that, if I'd realized that. <laughs> um, and, then, um, uh, and then as the years went on, I wasn't looking for a job. But uh, Heaven Hill was wanting to put together an ambassador program, and then they kind of uh, lured me away uh, from from Jim Beam. And, and I, I love Jim Beam, but I, you know how companies get a little bigger, and sometimes things change. And the company had reorganized a couple times, and and I, I was doing a job I really didn't um, didn't didn't really particularly like. Mm -hmm. So I was vulnerable, and then that's when uh, Heaven Hill kind of coerced me away. And uh, and and it's been it's been a lot of fun. So I've worked for the number number one bourbon company in the world, and now the number two bourbon company in the world kind of kind of and, and we're family owned so it's really opposite and it's been a really interesting i still talk to fred and i still talk to greg sure. davis denny denny potter everybody right um so you know it's a big family kind of and, and so i always remind everybody that jack daniels outsells the entire bourbon category combined <laughs> so you know just one brand you know so we got to stick together we got to do this we can't we can't do this alone so it's also kind of uh, easier to be friendly competitors when everybody's selling every drop they make so thank goodness there you go yeah 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 ab mm -hmm. absolutely yeah that's uh you know it's it, it's interesting you you bring that up and you kind of go so we we go from a uh, I'm going to, I'm going to steer us into the, to the bottle and bond conversation, I guess, because that's, uh, I mean, you carry it around with you everywhere you go, right? Yeah. Well, bottle it's, and bond it's, label. It's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> right there. It's, there's no brand on it. So, you know, uh, but still it's bottle and bond. Yeah. yeah for so, sure. so at the time, so when you were at Jim Beam, uh, did they have any bottle and bond product on the market? 
Absolutely. That's what got me talking about it was uh, my first favorite bourbon in general was Old Granddad Bottled and Bond. And I started drinking that when I was uh, working up at, uh, in Drew, Drew, with Drew Carey's old neighborhood up in Parma, Ohio, outside of Cleveland. And Old Granddad was pretty big up there. And that's I mean, this is in the 80s and 90s. I mean, this is a long time ago. And I found that bourbon in it. And, uh, and I just, you know, it has that has the word bonded around sure. the, on the top of the label. And that just catch your attention. And I remember coming home and I said, hey, dad, I found a, a bourbon that I really like. And he goes, yeah, what'd you, what'd you find? And I said, um, oh, granddad, bottle and bond. He goes, oh, bottle and bond, that's a good stuff, son. And I was like, whoa, what, what, what is that? Now, when your dad, who drinks a quart a day, says that's the good stuff, you know? And I said, uh, I said, well, why don't you drink it? He says, well, I like drinking this Heaven Hill 90 proof. He says that, he, you know, he's an all-day drinker. He says that's a little too high proof for him. So, you know, he drank a bourbon in a, in a styrofoam cup, like a 24-ounce styrofoam cup. And uh, I am with Diet Coke. And I said, hey, Dad, how come you use the styrofoam cup? He says, well, son, I, I, I drink all day. I can't have the, the cup sweating on the table. Your mom would kill me, right? So, you know, <laughs> so, so kind, of a, kind of a good tip for those who, uh, you know, if you're going to have a Sunday fun day and drink all day, you got to have a styrofoam cup. So, there you <laughs> how, so, so personal question, you may not want to answer. How often did he recycle that cup? Or, or, or did, was there one cup that stayed in rotation for many, many days? No, or even I weeks? think I think by the end of the night it was pretty toast. I think it was <laughs> <right> <laughs> trash can, so he had a sleeve of them, so it was okay. Yeah. But um, you know, when your dad says things like that, you know, like um, you know, hey, uh, that's the good stuff. You know, my dad sure. also said. Um, you know, I said, well, why don't you drink anything over six years old? Why don't you drink that? Uh, I mean, he, I didn't say that. So why don't you drink uh, this Knob Creek? Uh, it's nine years old. Or why don't you drink this um, uh, Elijah Craig? It's 12 years old. And he said, well, son, I don't I don't trust a bourbon over six years old. And that's that's something else that sticks in your mind when your father says, well, and I said, well, why is that? And he says, well, if it's over six years old, trust me, that's just the shit they can't sell. <laughs> and so, you know, so that is the mindset of a consumer back in the 90s and 2000s is and anything over six years old is too old. Mm. And then what was taken off is Knob Creek and Elijah Craig and Wood for Reserve. And they were older, sometimes stronger. Um, you know, Booker's was barrel proof, you know, things like that. So uh, people's the consumer's taste buds and 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 and, uh, and and their their needs and wants have changed over the years and that's why most people who who made older whiskeys i'm going to grab this bottle here yep. you know if you if 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 bourbon sales are going way down mm -hmm. so you all your barrels in the warehouse are getting older and you're selling less of it so more of your, your more of your bourbons aging but nobody wants it, right? Because my dad, it's such a shit that can't sell, right? All right. So, um, so what do you think that bourbon co companies did in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s to sell that, that, uh, the, the, the whiskey that was too old? It's marketing, right? You take the, take the age statement off and uh, put it in a fancy bottle? I don't know. Well, there you, you got it. You got it. You got it half right there. You could take the age statement off. You could do that. But what they did is they put it into collectible decanters yeah? mm. and they did age it. They did put the age on, but they put it in. They said, this one says age for a uh, hundred months. Cause they know in Kentucky, we can't do math. So, um, you know, how old is that? I don't know. Is that 10 years old? Is that eight years? Hell, I don't know. It's a hundred months. That's not that old. Right. Uh, so that's what they did with it. And they said, you know, thought, well, Hey, you might buy the nice decanter. 
And they had them in cars and planes and trains and telephone, all kinds of, you know, collectible bottles. And that's exactly what they did. So, um, uh, and most of the whiskey that was older went to, to Japan and went to China because they really do like older, you know, they, they're big in cognac. Mm. And if, you know, if we like a, a cognac that's eight or 12 years old, they want a 40 year old, you know, they want the oldest, right? So, um, they just wanted that older whiskeys. And so now we've just kind of, our taste as consumers in the United States have kind of changed. And now we kind of like older, older whiskeys and stronger whiskeys. So, but it took 30, 40 years to create that. And that was, and so it's really kind of fun to have been part of that, um, uh, you know, being there right when all those small batch bourbons, which were only a handful, you know, when I started in 2005, there was only 10 distilleries in Kentucky. And today there are 69. Hmm. that's pretty crazy that is that's crazy. a lot of growth that is and there's 1800 craft distillers around the country that did not exist in 2005 so that's exciting yeah so when you're talking about that i don't know if we want to call it a paradigm shift i mean it you could kind of go you know history repeats itself right because you know the 50s there was a kind of a whiskey boom and you know and then we progressed and a couple of the spirits introduced and 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 marketing i think probably drove that uh, maybe not, but, uh, or maybe it was yeah, just the, I mean, the uniqueness of the product and it's new to that new. Yeah. What happened around 1950, uh, you know, bourbon really was, was kind of an, it's, you know, he had been out of business for 14 years from 1920 to 1934, then prohibition ends, but it still takes a couple of years to get these to still, it wasn't like the distilleries are just ready to open. I mean, they were mothballed. They were destroyed. They were, you took them right. apart. I mean, you know, there was, you could, it was against the law to make whiskey. So you, if you couldn't just lock the door, you had to destroy the stills. You had to do all this stuff. Hmm. Only five distilleries were allowed to stay open to sell whiskey medicinally. So it really never caught back on. And when it, when it, uh, in the late thirties, when we came out with the first whiskeys, they all wanted to be bottled and bond because that was the industry standard before prohibition. And then that's the only whiskey you could get during prohibition as medicinal whiskey was bottled and bond. So that's what people had in their mind is the industry standard and the goal to, to reach for, to achieve, to be taken seriously by a consumer. So that means we could, we made our first barrel at Heaven Hill, December 13th, 1935. That means we can't come out with our first whiskey until December 13th, 1939. And it was this whiskey right here. This is a, we made this two years ago. We never changed the label. This is, this became Evan Williams bottled in bond, hmm. but this was old Heaven Hill bottled in bond and gold was a really common color for labels back then for a pre a good product. Right. And so a, when you look at Forrest Gump, this is what Lieutenant Dan's drinking in that mm. movie is kind of fun. And a lot of, and a lot of the themes, pretty cool. So uh, we didn't get back on the shelves until 1939 and then World War II came out. And in 1941, we were all supposed uh, given contracts to make high proof alcohol for the war effort. And uh, you can make uh, tires and rubbers and, and different synthetics uh, and like uh, parachutes uh, from high proof alcohol. I don't know the science. But we, there's a part of town in Louisville, which was really industrial area. And that's where they did that. And it was actually called Rubber Town. <laughs> and there was pipelines from distilleries that went to Rubber Town to make this stuff. It's pretty cool. Uh, history. Uh, you don't want to be around there right now. People, you know, have uh, feet growing out of their head and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, but uh, those, those lawsuits have been settled. So, uh, um, but the, um, you know, so we really never got back on the shelves. So that's four more years or out, you're off the shelves 
after being gone for 14 and only back for two. So you see how it was a hard start. Mm-hmm. And then, so what they did was, and this is from our owner, Max Shapira and his dad, and Max has been with our company since 1971, so 50 years. And he was working with his father. So his father tells, you know, tells him the history of this. And it's, it's a part of the history that nobody talks about that I've heard. So they, uh, after World War II, they didn't want to get caught in that conundrum again and uh, maybe have to make war uh, uh, for the war effort because Korean War was, was, was looks like we were going to go to war with Korea. So they overproduced and they ramped up production production so that they could make their whiskey and, or the whiskey they had to. And then uh, the technology changed and the government didn't come to them and they had all this whiskey that they had made way too much up. And when you have way too much supply, the price, you have to cut, cut, cut your price. And then the Canadian whiskeys, the, you know, the uh, VO uh, Canadian club, and then the American blended whiskeys, Seagram seven and Kessler and all that, they were more of the fashion of the day because they could, you know, they could get doers and um, uh, Johnny Walker and all that kind of stuff. So blended whiskeys and that kind of thing were, were kind of a thing. And they were lighter in spirit. They were 80 proof. So the bottle and bond 100 proof was way too much for the consumer. And so sales started going down. And then you saw, and and then vodka and tequila come out in the 1960s. And just, that was the the one, two punch that really kind of, as Max Shapiro says, sent us, almost sent us to the great liquor store in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 sorry, but for people that may not be familiar with bottle Lebon, you, you've made a couple of statements, right, that, that are significant, but you've talked a little about age. You've talked a little about proof points. You want to give us the uh, the, the Bernie Lovers uh, kind of breakdown of, you know, what why is bottled in body? You talked about uh, after prohibition, you know, this is kind of the, 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 the staple and what we're making because it's what you know, the consumers are looking for. Sure. So um, let's, let's go back in our way back machine with Mr. Peabody and Sherman. We go back to the late 1800s and there's no laws about bourbon and there's no laws about whiskey or spirits there's no laws that you can do anything so um if you wanted to make bourbon which and the people were calling straight bourbon uh was nothing was added to it it came straight from the barrel okay so that was just kind of an accepted thing that it was straight whiskey or there was compound whiskey or imitation whiskey and that would be taking some everclear or, you know, which is easy to make. You can use it make from 100% corn. You distill it to 190 proof. Remember your first high school party and that bottle of Everclear? That's that's neutral grain spirits. <laughs> Still you know? do. Yeah. And so what did you do at that party? How did you make that drinkable? Because that's not drinkable at 190 proof. What did you add to it? Whatever is available. Uh, now, right. I, I did grow up on a farm in East Tennessee, so we were ch- cutting up a bunch of fruits and such and, you know, chunking there it in go. and you know, hunch there punch one. So. So, you know, you'd make up a hooch and you'd put fruit juices in. Sometimes you'd cut up pieces of fruit and put it in there. You know, it's all stuff people did with moonshine, too. That's why you see some pieces of fruit actually in the jar with the, with the moonshine. So they would take water and fruit juice and different things and water it down. Well, they could do the same thing and make imitation or compound whiskey by just adding like colors to it. You know, and they would add sometimes like coffee to give it color. Hmm. Or they would take spittoons and empty the spittoons into it, you know, to, for that for, for that little texture and flavor and, and all that. And sometimes they would take different like acids, like battery acid and things like that. And it really wasn't good. But they had they actually had actual um, uh, recipes of how to make bourbon or rye 
from the same raw material, which was that neutral grain spirit. So it was basically a bourbon flavored whiskey. So bourbon flavored vodka, basically, you know, or rye flavored vodka. Mm -hmm. So that was what they called compound whiskey or imitation whiskey. Well, you can imagine that the folks that made, you know, good bourbon, Mm -hmm. they didn't want, they wanted to have something that set them apart from the, from those pretenders. So they, they helped pass the bottled and bond act and that happened in 1897. So if you look at the, the top of, a, of our one of our old Fitzgerald bottle and bond decanters, there's a gentleman's picture on there, mm-hmm. and that's John Carlisle. And his picture appeared on the tax stamps, and, there, and it had to have a stamp that's showing that it's bottled and bond, and it was green. So um, and it and it tells you all this information. So all of a sudden, there was it was the first consumer protection uh, legislation in the history of the United States. You know how you get a hot pocket or something and you look at it and says, you know, how many carbs are in there, how many sugars? Well, that didn't, that was the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. Nine years before, we cared more about the quality of our whiskey. That's why I love Bob and Bob too, right? And so, priorities, at least they had them right. Absolutely. So now when it said bottled and bond on it, that was a quality stamp. And uh, there's been a couple different uh, things added to it, but basically you were at, you were guaranteed a good age and strength and purity. So think about that in 1897 and 1901 and 1910 or 15, you're, you're guaranteed that, you know, by law, this has to be a minimum of four years old in the, in the correct types of barrels. Yeah. So bourbon has to be aged in a brand new charred oak barrel, mellow corn or corn whiskey has to be aged in a used charred barrel. So, uh, but four years, it's got to spend in there. So you're guaranteed a good age. Mm-hmm. Then you could water anything down to anything back then. You could be, doesn't have to be 80 proof. It could have been 60 or 70. You don't know. So then you were guaranteed this was exactly 100 proof every time with bottled and bond. And that's why that JW Dant mellow corn and on that, and that green part on that neck of mellow corn says 100 because that's got to be. So now I'm guaranteed a good strength. So that's two good guarantees. And then by law, you can't add caramel color or, or uh, you know, tobacco spit or battery acid right? or fruit juice. You can only add pure water. So think about 18, you know, 1897, 1901, you're guaranteed purity, age, and strength. That's pretty damn cool. And then you have to put the, the actual producer, the actual distillery has to be listed on bottled and bond. And they have a distillery number, which is called a DSP, Distilled Spirits Plant. So here it says distilled by Heaven Hill. And you got to put your real name of the distillery on it. So, that, you know, so I, I know exactly who made it. You can also, you know, we own Old Fitzgerald brand name and Elijah Craig. So if that becomes confusing, uh, we, it says uh, dis, uh, distilled by Heaven Hill, DSP KY1. So that that code, and you can Google it, it says that's, that's Heaven Hill. So now I know exactly who made it. And then if it's bottled by a separate plant, because our distillery is in downtown Louisville, but our bottling plants in Bartstown, it says bottled by DSP KY31. It is just so transparent uh, and, and, and it's all on the label and you can read it. And it says, you know, it, it has all these laws that, it, it, that 
bottled in bond meets all that criteria. There's a few other things like uh, uh, it has to be uh, from one distilling season and from one distillery. So I, if we have more than one distillery, we can't mingle them together and call it bottled in bond. Um, you, there's two two distilling seasons in 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 distilling one spring and one fall so they're listed on these tax stamps that if it's made in the spring of 2011 and then on then bottled in the fall of 2021 you have to put that you know you have to put that on there so there's no guessing about bottle and bond you know exactly who made it you know how it, the minimum it's four years old and then if it has an age statement on it it has to be all that age like henry mckenna's 10 year but that jw dant that miller corner all aged for four years nothing but pure water has been added to it and it's a guaranteed good good strength of 100 proof mm-hmm. so that's, so you mentioned you mentioned the one season uh so or mm-hmm. one distillate season and that's what's yeah. going into the bottled and bomb bottle and I, I don't know why but i was just thinking as you were talking and i don't know why you would do this uh maybe maybe for you know folks that are mass producing you know thousands of barrels a day but would i ever have I, so you can't put anything else into the bottled and bond bottle but would i ever be using uh what's in a barrel and putting it in another bottle that's not bottled in bond or or am i, sure. am I yeah maybe sure. okay sure i mean we don't put a brand on any of our barrels we put a recipe and that recipe like jw dance shares a recipe with uh, evan williams and elijah craig and henry mckenna and fighting cop so uh, but we can only use barrels from one distilling season for a specific right. bottled and bond brand. So that's why sometimes JW Dant, even though it's four years old and hundred proof, just like uh, JTS Brown and Evan Williams bottle and bond, they taste a little different because we're picking barrels from different areas of brick houses and a different six month period. But uh, like Knob Creek is hundred proof and nine years old and from one distillery and, and but they don't, they're, they're a million case brand. So they have to kind of mingle their month, their seasons together because it's a huge brand. Sure. sure. Bottle and bond, and, and they want to grow that brand. It's not, and, and it probably meets all the criteria. But that's how restricted bottle and bond is because, and, and they want to grow that brand. I don't blame them for not making it bottle and bond. But they have old tub, which they came out with, and uh, old granddad bottle and bond, which they do. So that's how restricted it is. You know, I would say that the, you know, words on labels are like uh, men and women. Uh, in the military earning medals you got to earn the whiskey medal you know you got to earn you know that's from grains that's not from the molasses or sugar or fruits that's from grains uh bourbon is a specific uh you know 50 at least 51 percent of corn to be that so in, in a brand new charred barrel so you have to earn the bourbon medal and you put it on your chest with pride right straight is means it's been aged for two years so that's a, a medal that you earn. And then Kentucky, that's a great medal. That's, you know, we know what we're doing here in Kentucky. Plus we have extreme cold uh, winters and extreme hot summers. We get good aging. You know, uh, do you want Florida straight bourbon whiskey or Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey? You know, um, <laughs> you know do you want North Dakota straight bourbon whiskey? Or do you want Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey? They both make good whiskey. It's just different whiskey. It's not Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey, right? So that's a good medal. But if it has bottle and bond on it, it has to be, you know, from, from one distilling season, from one distiller, nothing but pure water added to get to uh, down to 100 proof, aged for a minimum of four years in the appropriate uh, uh, wooden containers. And then you have to um, uh, put the real name of the distillery on and the DSP. You hear all that? So I call Bottled and Bond the, the, the Green Beret or Navy Seal of spirits. It's got all the metals. So why wouldn't you want 
every single one. And that's why I'm so passionate about Bottle and Bun. You know, when I was a kid, right down the street from where I live, uh, is a was an old theater. It's now a it's now a uh, Qdoba, but uh, it was a theater, and I saw the John Wayne movie, the Green Beret. You know, it's one of the first movies I ever saw in a movie theater, right? And it, you know, it's just you know, you always remember that. And I remember Sergeant Barry Sadler sang the the title song, and he was actually a Green Beret and a Master Sergeant. And the song goes, um, uh, put silver wings on my son's chest, make him one of America's best. 100 men will test today, but only three will be Green Beret. So there's 1,800 craft distillers. There's, there's 10 major distillers making dozens of labels. Let's say every distillery makes two. Well, that's over 3,000 labels of American whiskey. There are about 40 bottled in bonds. And of those 40, wow. Heaven Hill produces 10. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, but, you know, we're crazy. family owned, so we're going to do things that other people don't do. So That's very cool. Yeah. 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 So so in thinking and, and uh, I, oh, Old Tub, it's, uh, Old Tub's not bottled and bought, is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it is. Sure okay. it is. Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I didn't pull it down. I've got it on the shelf. So, so I'm going to reference that, and then I want to reference the um, the new bottle that came out. I don't know. Was it last year? I guess the Heaven Hill bottle and bond. Uh, so, kind of rebranding. Got the Rick House and, you know, and, and such on there. And you look yeah. at some of these. You look at some of these. Uh, some of the other labels you know, that you guys have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, but talk about the the J T S Brown, uh, the J W Dant, Melicorn, etc. And there's old tub. I knew I had it. So I got yeah, a whole bottle go. bond section on my bar here. So I encourage everyone, you know, if you have your bar or your bunker, have a section that's all bottle and bond. I mean, it's really yeah. cool. Uh, this is Monty Ortel, executive director of the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. And you are listening to Birdies in Bourbon. So what's your thoughts on, on like the rebranding and, and, or I, I guess it's rebranding. It's almost re-imaging, but you know, with old tub, heaven. Uh, Hill. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually, you know, it's, it's a part, part of it, but some people is, is premium premiumizing a brand because for many years, many decades, we've been giving away bourbon for no money. I mean, and yeah. it costs a lot of money to make bourbon. Mm-hmm. And the next time I mean, people get, uh, you know, we got a lot of grief. We had a six-year-old bottle and bond uh, that was uh, only in Kentucky. And uh, we just yep. didn't want to kill the brand. And it was bottle and bond. It's six years old. And it was like, you know, $13, $15 a bottle. And then people say, oh, my God, you put it in here. You only added one more year. Now it's $40. Well, look at all that money we lost over those years. And other distillers can't even get a bottle and bond because they didn't have enough whiskey, much less a six or seven year old. Wow. Think about, you know, all the bourbons that are out there and how much they cost. I mean, no one bitches or complains about a $30 bottle of Grey Goose. They didn't age that one minute. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just go nuts thinking about stuff like this. You know, it's crazy. You know, how much is a bottle of Patron? It's 40 bucks and it has never been aged. You know, the, the Blanco, you know, great products and they're worth it. Right. I mean, it's great. 
So, but think about, we had to make this and wait seven years or six years. So because bourbon was depressed for decades and our Heaven Hill brands were around, well, you just can't start adding five, 10, $15 for a bottle. You got to do it gradually sure. or you have to rebrand it or reposition it. Right. And do people do it all the time? I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure Ford looks at Chevy and, and, and kind of says, well, we need a car that's about the same price to compete with that because right. consumers are buying that. Right. Yep, yep. And every industry does that. Well, just because we're, we have a lot of whiskey, but we still need to do that. We, I remind people that we are in the bourbon business, not the bourbon charity. Um, there's, there's a lot of, you know, look at the, the, uh, Stitzel Weller where Pappy Van Winkle worked, right? That, uh, you know, they, they stuck to their guns. They only made, uh, old Fitzgerald that was bottled in bond. So that was the, that brand was always bottled in bond. they had never had a variant that they also made Weller and, uh, and, uh, Cabin Still and Rebel Yell, things like that. But that was their flagship brand. Right. And so, uh, they're out of business, right? The holy grail of distilleries that people talk about and, 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 and look back upon is, oh, my God, is the holy, holy grail. They're gone. Right? Yeah. They're gone. So you have to do things to compete. And when you look at things and we're not the only ones to ever rebrand. And someone told me, oh, but it's the same whiskey with the same name. Right. I mean, you just took a six year old, slapped seven years on it. And this one's 15 and this one's 40. Well, you guys, what are you doing? Well, it's happened many, many, many times, right? So you have, you have uh, oh, yeah. this old Taylor, which was six years old. Yep. And this was $15 a bottle. And then you put it into this and it's 45. Yeah. We're not maybe, 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 maybe if you can find it. Yeah. Right. And the uh, and the single barrel happens to be 75. Right. And neither one of them have an age statement on. It, right. And this one does. Right? And it's seven years and it's 40. So we're still five dollars to thirty five dollars under this. Right. Mm -hmm. And these are great products and these are totally worth it. But we deserve our time, right? We're like the Goonies. This is our time. This is our time down here, right? <laughs> and if the whole bourbon world is starting to premiumize our products and making money, can't we too? You know, we if we yeah, can't get, make good board. whiskey if we don't exist. So, right. you know, I understand people's frustration, but you got to understand we have frustration too. And you just can't go around selling six and seven-year-old whiskeys for $10 anymore. It's just a different world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and to your point, nor should you, right? I mean, it's uh, that, that's part of the legacy in the business and being able to continue to to uh, to provide what you're providing. Right. I mean, it's uh, right. cost, of, cost of living goes up every year. Believe Absolutely. Not. You know, so. and, and, you know, and, and we had to pay, um, you know, people don't even blink and they'll buy a, a can of a Starbucks, uh, call, you know, right. a can for uh, four bucks. Right. Yeah. But yeah. if and they didn't pay, they didn't pay alcohol. They didn't pay $13 and 20 cents a proof gallon for that either. And here yeah. we do. And here we are. And you get a hell of a lot more than four, four drinks out of this, right? Mm. Uh, three drinks. 
you know, uh, of this. So for, you know, you get, you get 24, 25 pours out of this. So 25 times $4, this is cheaper than Starbucks for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. So, so when do these start? So I've got in front of me the JW Dant mellow corn and I'm going to hold mm-hmm. up a bottle, uh, which is not bottled in bond, but which is a great bottle that you guys produce the Evan Williams single barrel. I think that's Absolutely. a wonderful daily drinker. So, you know, and, and, and under $30. Well, but, but my point was, you know, I can get these two bottles for the price of that one bottle. And I would say, you know, each on their own, they're, they're unique and different, but equally as good. So, you know, in in looking at what you did with heaven Hill and which I thought was absolutely fantastic, it, it made me want to buy more of it. I mean, it was that, you know, the eye candy, the appeal, right. I mean, the the, the kind of thing that's out there there so you know when does when did these start to get a makeover in that fashion or do they ever and is there always going to be that kind of nostalgic vintage you know uh, let's keep it as it is because of what it is well um we don't have a lot of plans to, to premiumize mellow corn uh you know mellow corn is kind of going to be mellow corn if uh, now we do have some uh, corn whiskey that has become older so we do have an opportunity to come out with another brand of aged corn whiskey that, uh, and we own many, many dozens and dozens of brands we're not even using right now. So we have a label room of, la- of labels we own. So we will probably come out and have a premium corn whiskey one day, but there's not a big market for corn whiskey. Um, it's pretty much us and Balcones and Platte, Platte Valley and you know a couple others. And you can't build a category with three or four. So I always yeah. encourage if any distillers listening, come out with an aged corn whiskey. We got to build this category, right? Because it's <laughs> it's fun to build a little category. But mellow corn, and you see the both of those in front of you. You know, Max and his father bought those brands, and it's one way how we built Heaven Hill was. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna come out with another brand, you've got to have enough capacity on your still to be able to make and fill those barrels. To, to age it for four years or more and come out with it. Or you can buy an existing brand and you get all the barrels that they have in inventory. So you don't have to have to build on and, uh, and expand your distillery for at least four years or when the stocks of that run out. Mm-hmm. But what a great way to build a business. And they happen to be a uh, very, uh, it's a conservative family owned company. So they, um, and they also own department stores. This was their side hustle. Right. So in the in the 1960s, they still had the department stores. That's what they made the money. So this was still something they were investing in. And, and you know, they wanted it to become uh, it, what it is today, which is really cool that it is. But um, they had the financial wherewithal when the other distillers were going out of business that they bought those brands. And some of them are only popular in North Carolina or, you know, Ohio or you know, South Carolina or, you know, Pennsylvania or America. So but they didn't care. They, a bottle makes X amount of dollars and it adds to the bottom line. So they bought these little regional brands like these uh, JW Dance, JTS Brown, Mellow Corn, Rittenhouse Rye, uh, Pikesville Rye. And that, and that just, that's how they built the company right now. And that's why we never change. Don't screw it up. Bill Samuel says that all the time. Just don't screw it up. Right. Um, so if you, and, and they all share the same bottle. So, it, you know, this has, this is a proprietary bottle. To cast this bottle costs tens of thousands of dollars, right? right. It's a mold that you own. Now to buy, well, hell, that we own that tall, that's called a tall round. Yeah. So that's a yeah. tall round, and this is called a tall square, 
Yeah. So everything that's anything goes in that. So you keep it, you keep the cost of production because we have to pay taxes on all this. It costs a lot of money for grains. We spend $68 million a year in wood with a barrel before we make the first drop. Okay? There's a lot of money invested in bourbon. So one way to keep your cost down on a brand is just don't screw it up. Don't change it. Here it is. And that's the same label for both of those. Uh, Mellow Corn, it, it, you look at the front at the very bottom underneath. Uh, it says uh, 1945, I think. Mm, yep. Copyright. Registered patent. Yep. Yeah. We've never changed it. And JW Dant, we've never changed that label. So just don't change it. Don't screw it up. It's not the same label since 1835, uh, but still, yeah, yeah, I uh, you know, that if you look, uh, I, have a, I have bottles from a, a, a picture of a bottle from 1940, uh, 40s. And it looks just like that. So it's kind of cool to have those. Um, Brand recognition, right? Yeah, and they're not in every market. I think they're only in a handful. Of, well, Mellow Corn is nationwide, but J.W. Dant is probably in only a handful of markets. It's not nationwide. Hmm. Yeah, I'm in Atlanta. I can find, yeah, I can find it pretty pretty regularly in Atlanta. Uh, yes. the, the one I can't find down here, though, is the J.T.S. Brown. Uh, mm -hmm. say, is, that, is that Kentucky only? No, but it's uh, Kentucky, Indiana, and a couple more markets. I'm not really sure what markets okay. they are. But cool. yeah. It's a cool old label, too. Yeah. yeah. And we haven't changed that, Brent, that label. That's um, that's amazing. That's, um, that's he, uh, that is um, he, uh, Heath uh, and JTS Brown and Creole Brown on the front there. Those are the three gentlemen's names on there. Kind of neat. Yeah. So, so you're, you know, you're traveling, I don't know, you've got a statement you make, what, 200,000 miles a year, you're traveling around. Uh, oh, not that much. Sometimes about a hundred thousand miles a year, you know, flying around, but I'll go to Europe every once in a while. You know, I haven't been anywhere since March, March 13th of two, 2020. Yeah. That's cab, cabin fever. Hey, yeah. I don't know. You may, you may be kind of over it by now. It's like, well, all right. You, you, creature of your environment. But when you're, when, when you're introducing bottled and bond to folks and, and do you find it more often than not? So if you got 10 people in a room, is it 10 people that want to learn more about it? Or is it uh, 10 people that uh, I don't know what this is and, and, I, and I want to know what it is? It's a little bit of both. I mean, I don't just talk about bottle and bond. I talk about, you know, our other products, too. And I talk about bourbon whiskey and rye whiskey in general. Uh, but, you know, I hope that sometimes, you know, you, you never know what people hear and what they take away. But uh, Bottle and Bond just has all the sexy old historical stories, you know, and yep. and uh, has so much to talk about, and as bourbon does, too. But just because something isn't Bottle and Bond, like you had that single barrel, that vintage single barrel, that's a phenomenal bourbon, and it's 86.6 proof. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just uh, but it has a flavor profile. It's just amazing. But, you know, you just want people to glom on to something that you say and get excited about it. Um, if I'm talking to bartenders, I'm really going to talk about bottle and bond a lot because, you know, they, they like bottle and bond 100 proof because it's if they're making a cocktail with several ingredients, uh, the cocktail stands up. You know, the, the base spirit of bourbon or rye or corn whiskey stands up in that cocktail right. because it's not just 80 proof or 90 proof. It's 100. So that's why bartenders like it. So if I'm, you know, it depends on the crowd I'm in front of, you know, if it's consumers or whatever, I try, you know, I try to hope they get excited about Ball and Bond or any of our products. But, nice. You know. Nice. Well, you, you've definitely got a got a hell of a portfolio. And uh, I don't know that there's anything that I wouldn't uh wouldn't pour myself and share. So 
Okay. Absolutely. I'm going to pour some of this JW Dant right now. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, did, I did too. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it, I, I will say one of my favorites in, and I don't, I don't want to use the word budget. I'm going to use the word uh, great value. How about that? One of one go. of the one of the great value uh, bourbons or whiskeys that you have that I'm just a huge fan of is Fighting Cock, and yeah. uh, you know that one is man that that that's a showstopper for me every single time. I, I love that stuff. Can't get enough of it. That's awesome. You know, that's an old brand that we had purchased. Uh, we didn't come up with this. Some people said, "Oh, you you came out with that to to go up against Wild Turkey." No, we didn't. Um, that brand was around. They both have, uh, you know, uh, they both have birds on the front of them. And, and ironically, uh, they were both both made. Both of their distilleries were in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, so they were even closer before uh, before we bought it. Wow. But um, you know, it's just a 103 proof. And those 101, like Wild Turkey, 103, 107, like the old Wellers and all them. Those were the barrel proofs of the time. Yeah. Barrel bourbon was put into the barrel. Uh, you, you couldn't put it in at more than 110. Now you can do it at 125. But back then the law was 110. And most people were right under it at 107. So what they did is they is that's about as strong as you could get. Because if you the lower parts of the floors uh, of the aging of the of the warehouses, the proof goes down and the higher parts it goes up. So Getting it to 101, 103, or 107 were the barrel proofs of the time. And that's where those, I don't know why there wasn't any even numbers, but, uh, but that's maybe they just <laughs> marketing decided that or something. Who knows? So you, you make, uh, so if you, you know, looking on your website or if you go to, to uh, if you go to whiskeyprof.com, you got a pretty interesting, uh, I don't know if analogy, you've got an interesting um, dissection of a, of a whiskey menu. And, and more often than not, maybe not the past year, but, but prior to the past year, it wouldn't be uncommon. And you, you open up kind of a, I don't think I can say whiskey. You open up a whiskey catalog, right? It's like, well, what do you have? And it's like, here you go. And, and you're fumbling through pages. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's more like a, a, a wine, wine catalog than it is, you know, a bourbon catalog. So you, you want to share a little bit about how does, how does someone that's maybe new, maybe I've got a few bottles at the house or I've tried something before. How do I, I'm going to go and sit down and kind of flip through this whiskey bourbon catalog and pick out what I wanted at a restaurant. How, how do I do that? So you're talking about if, if you got a menu uh, of, of a yeah. bunch of bourbons that are available or, or American whiskeys, how do you go about choosing one? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, whether you're doing that or you're going to start your collection at home, um, as I said before, I encourage everyone to go out like, uh, and buy. I would I would be looking at the bottle and bonds, right? You're guaranteed. They're the Navy Seal and Green Berets. You can't go wrong. It's a, it's a quality stamp that most authorities can't even achieve, right? So that's pretty cool thing. You can't go wrong with a bottle of bond, whether it's ours or anybody's. It doesn't matter. It's going to have great quality. Uh, you may or may not like it. That doesn't mean it doesn't have good quality. You just you, you might not just be. You know, but I, I guarantee you're going to pretty much like nine nine to uh, nine to ten out of ten. <laughs> but one good way to do it, though, if you're intimidated. You can't go wrong with a bottle and bond. You just can't. You know, you just, uh, as, as I said, and if you're going to purchase whiskey, I, I challenge people all the time. You take a hundred bucks into a liquor store and I'll take a hundred bucks into a liquor store. And my cart is going to be a lot fuller than yours is. And I'm going to have a lot different array of whiskeys. Right? You're maybe going to bucks, 
I know that's a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret. So I'm probably going to have it in there, right? You know, Um, so there's I can get four or five. I can get four or five of our bottle of bonds, and we're not even at seventy bucks yet, you know, or eighty bucks. You know, I got twenty bucks left over. Pretty crazy. So I tell everyone. Start your collections at home, or if you're looking at that menu, go bottle and bomb. Then you can start going off. Oh, I like this. I like that. Uh, I like, uh, let's say you like uh, our Rittenhouse rye. So you go, oh, I like rye whiskeys. Well, now you can go off on a rye whiskey tangent, whether it's our products or somebody else's, or you might want to try Pikesville, which is one of ours, or you might want to try Old Overholt, or you might want to try Sazerac. You know, you can go off on a tangent then. You might want to try Old Forester rye, something like that. So you can find what you like at the start, which I think, you know, it's easy to start with bottle and bonds. There's, like I said, 3,000, 4,000 labels of American whiskey. There's only 40 bottle and bonds. And in any one given market, there's probably only about 15 or 16. So you can go to a liquor store and buy 16 bottles. That's a good start of a collection. And then you can start tasting them. And then you can go off on a tangent and build your bar after that. Right? That's how I describe people to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Great counsel there for sure. That's uh I would say uh, I, I may have done that. I, I may have actually built my bar after you, believe it or not. Wow. Not that. so. that's, that's awesome. Then. <laughs> no one ever listens to me. That's great. <laughs> I didn't say it was good. Advice. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, what, what are we missing on? I know we can't. You, you got things, uh, better things to do than uh, than chat and drink with us. Uh, no worries. You know, I, I, I will encourage y'all. I appreciate y'all talking about my, my website. You know, I. I've, I've had that. Um, it was just something I thought I'd host and, and do. And it's just kind of fun for me. Um, and, 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 and it's not branded, so I can talk about everything. Uh, I'll, you know, I, I, but I do that every day. And even in my tastings, I, you know, we're all, we're all, I wouldn't say one big family, but we all know that the rising tide raises all ships. But I will tell you, if you go to heavenhilldistillery.com, there's some really cool stuff there. Uh, we've got a, a podcast called Tales from the Hill uh, that we do it just kind of internally there. It's just on the website. We're not trying to compete with podcasts, but you know we, we, we have access to us all the time. So we, we, those are pre-recorded and they're kind of fun. But we have you can watch a Rick house being built over time-lapse photography, which is really interesting to watch because they're so fascinating, the, the amount of lumber that's in there and things like that. Um, we go into great detail of, of our mash bills and the percentages of grain that's in all of them. We go into a lot of great uh, – there's so much we're learning about maturation. Uh, Andrew Webrink over at the Independent Stave Company was somebody you should have on. He's just amazing. We're learning things that we didn't even know a year ago. They're the ones really at Independent Stave. They're the ones really uh, looking at the research and data and science. And we're learning. We, all, we used to all think, and I was always told for years, you know, the reason we either use the, 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 the deeper chars, like three, a number three or a number four char, the alligator chars, Right. Because if you chart, if you'd use number one or number two char, you'd have to age it longer to get the same result. And that was kind of the accepted non-scientific, but that's just what people said. Well, we're learning that's not true. You can use a number one or number two char and get as deep a color even after a short period of time. It just brings a different flavor profile. So now that's opened up. We can put the same recipe into four different char levels of barrels and have much more different whiskey. This is all new within the last year or two. Oh, wow. Pretty crazy. 
So it, it's pretty neat. Well, I mean, because I mean, people that are making it, pro, you know, I mean, back in, you know, we you started off with, you know, we're back in the, you know, 1850s, right? Mid 1800s. And, and I don't know that it was if whiskey was looked at as a scientific thing, right? If it was a science. Well, Dr. James Crow was the first one to look at it as a scientific thing. And he started making whiskey in 1836. Okay. So you're about the right, you're, you're, you're talking about the right point of history. You're correct. He, he, he started using saccharometers to, to, to measure the amount of sugar. And he also used hydrometers to be more precise on the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the proofs that, that you, you would right. distill to. He would also use the sour mash method, and that really helped with the consistent flavor, but the pH levels in the cook and in the fermenter. So he was the first real scientist. Yeah, and, and what you're talking about now with, with the maturation, you know, the aging process and how things are moving, is that, is, is it, has it taken a, maybe a break in tradition to get to the point to where we're looking at it to that degree, or we're just, Hey, we're kind of there now. We're going to start looking at it like that. Or like, we, we need to just look at it differently. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, sure. Um, you you've got several things going on. You've also have, have, um, many generations of distillers, um, that, uh, had one way and only one way, but well, you're not broke, you're, right? New no. generation of distillers yeah. are, they're open to science and, and, and not that they weren't every, every distiller is a scientist, right? But it's just that, as I said, this data is brand new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you were told by your daddy, who is a distiller and his grandfather's distiller, we only use a number three char. Well, that damn it. That's what you do. Right? Don't, you don't even don't, think about it. You don't don't even think screw about it up. Yeah, don't <laughs> screw it up. But if your buddies over here at Independence Dave or McGinnis or whoever says, no, wait a minute, let's talk about this. Yeah. And that's why they have barrel symposiums and they have, and they share information of the industry. So this is all brand new information. Hmm. It's just going to be interesting to see who uses it. Yeah. Cause some people won't. Right. And that's fine, you know, because they have one thing they want to do. You know, we're family owned. We can kind of do a, a lot of things, but we also were a large producer. Our, our master distiller, Connor O'Driscoll, he says, well, I can't experiment too much. My beaker is 124,000 gallons. Right. <laughs> that's how big our fermenters are. So <laughs> sure. we can't, you know, we can't, we can only do some, so many things, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. So where, uh, so we're visiting Bardstown, uh, and where, and I'm not sure. So let's think about, we've got some things open and we're, and I think there are some things back open there now. Yeah. Most Uh, people are giving tours are just, we have eight people on a tour now instead of 20. Right. Right. So, so what's a must visit, obviously heaven Hill, but what, what's, uh, if you want to throw out a couple other must visits and then, uh, what's some, uh, uh, some diamonds in the rough as far as where do we eat or what's a must see that may be off the radar. Yeah. Well, you know, I put on my website, uh, there's, there's, you know, it's kind of clunky to go through. I got to change it, but it kind you know, I don't make any money on it. I don't, you know, and I got to pay for everything myself. So it's gonna, one day I'm just gonna have to sit together and, and do the, do the uh, articles a little bit better, but if you can cycle through it, there's, you go to whiskey courses. Uh, if you go to whiskey courses, one Oh one, it start going down tells you where to go eat drink and be merry in nashville where to go eat drink and be merry in chicago where to go eat drink and merry in in uh, louisville and lexington and bardstown uh it's in there but you know so people either come to kentucky and they either stay in um depending on because they're you know they're they're right there's some that are right next to each other you know a mile or two but there's others that are 40 miles away so you got to plan your trip really good 
there's some great tour companies, you know, there's mint julep tours and there's, there's Kentucky bourbon tours. There's a lot of, you know, you know, you, you might want to enlist their help because then if you're going to taste at these, you know, you might want to be driving everywhere, but you know, you can do it and have a designated driver, all that kind of stuff. But uh, in Bardstown, there's the, there's Barton, there's Willett and there's Heaven Hill. And then there's Bardstown bourbon company and they're great. Um, and they've got a restaurant called the bottle and bond kitchen which is a wonderful restaurant. Uh, there's also the Rick House restaurant in the basement of the Oscar Getz Museum. And that's something that you should see is the Oscar Getz Museum. It's, there's no, there's, I don't, I still think there's no entry fee and it's kind of self-guided, but it's got a cool, a lot of cool things. Uh, it only takes about, you know, half an hour to go through it. If you just kind of want to go through it on your own, really neat. Um, and then, you know, then you can go out to the Maker's Mark and the Independent State Company, which is out in Lebanon. And that's where Limestone Branch, where Steve Beam and my buddy Steve Fonte are at. And uh, they make Yellowstone uh, bourbon out there, sure. things like that. Um, and then, you know, then you can start going over to Lexington area in Frankfurt. And that's where Buffalo Trace and uh, and, and uh, a Wild Turkey and, and Four Roses are out that way. Uh, but, you know, you're either going to stay in Louisville, Lexington or Bardstown you know and depending on where you go and but don't forget about northern kentucky up across from cincinnati uh there's uh there's a couple of great distilleries up there new rift distillery is up there and uh across in newport and bellevue kentucky yeah and they're making a lot is that a bottle and bond they make yeah, a lot of good bottle and bond. yeah uh-huh and uh and and boy i tell you their their whiskey scene uh, on the main strasse there in covington there's bourbon house it's a very German area, so H O U S Bourbon House, and um, then you've got uh, the Old Kentucky Bourbon Bar and Wise Guys Lounge, which is also in Lexington, um, and uh, Goodfellas Pizza. But it's a kind of, it's a pizza joint, but it's uh, got a speakeasy above it in there. And then you've got um, uh, you know uh, you've got some other great ones in Lexington. You got Bourbon on Rye and the uh, the Bluegrass Tavern. But just go to my website, and I'm, I've been trying to be good. I still don't. No, I haven't been to these places and I do get the word of places that close or places that open, but it's pretty up to date. I mean, just use Google after you see it, but there's, there's, you, you're going to have to come back to Kentucky 10 to 20 times to really kind of, you know, see everything. You'll want to go back again. We, we're just finishing an $18 million renovation of Bardstown at our visitor center. And we've got this big, beautiful glass Rick house that uh, two sided uh, that's a corner of its glass. It just looks great. And everybody else has been making improvements to their visitor centers and, uh, and, and upgrading. So you'll want to see it. It's, it's phenomenal. Very cool. Very yeah. Cool. I did get a yeah. chance to, uh, to swing by there. It was well before it's probably in 29, like late 2019. I, it was, it was a stop in for me, just kind of stop and uh, take a peek and I had to get out of there. But, uh, but yeah, it yeah. was, uh, uh, I could, couldn't miss it. I was driving close enough to, to drive by and take a look at the, the new stuff. So Dan had a question for you though, that, that we yeah. can't, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You did. Which one was it? Oh, well, well, is, is bottled in bond, the, uh, oh, the the brisket of uh, the bourbon world. <laughs> but he says the green beret. He already kind of answered it. So, yeah. Oh, well, that's a good way to put it. I'd say that's correct. You know, <laughs> and um, and also bottle and bond, just like brisket. A lot of places only have so much per day and they run out. Right. There you go. So, exactly. 
You know, this, exactly. we only have so much from one distilling season. We hope we don't run out, but sometimes, you know, it, it is that restricted. So I, I'd say that's pretty a good description too. Oh, cool. Let me ask you, I, got, I actually have two, two questions for you real quick. Which country, yeah. uh, since you got started I and mean, with the big boom of bourbon and everything, which country surprised you the most in terms of their adoption to, to bourbon and their consumption? And number two, who's your, who was your comedy idol? Oh, well, I have several comedy idols. Uh, Paula Poundstone was always one of my great comedy idols because um, she was a conversational and uh, the way she works, I don't work a crowd. Um, it is part of my thing. Maybe I could, mm -hmm. but um, you know, she's just, she was a, a master of it and, and great. And there was another great comedian, um, uh, Brett Leak. Uh, who is one of my very, very, very favorites. Um, uh, Brett uh, is just a, an unbelievable a writer. Um, uh, uh, just uh, Jeff Caldwell um, is another great. These are names people really don't know. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I got to work with uh, Drew Carey and, um, you know, uh, uh, Steve Harvey. That was kind of, we called it kind of our high school class, you know. <laughs> so he they were in my high school class, you know, uh, kind of a thing. We would see them all the time. John Fox was a great Nice. Just a road comics, road comic, and just a great uh, guy to do that. Um, uh, but, you know, that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, hold on. What was the other question? I forget. Uh, Which country surprised you the most in terms of their oh. adoption? Yeah. Uh, that would be, for me, that would be Poland and Slovakia and, uh, and Czech Republic and uh, and croatia some of those eastern bloc countries that uh, that are you know now uh, you know not communist anymore and are kind of open and uh, they uh, they love american whiskey and wow. they love you know uh when i, I one of the best uh, uh, manhattans i ever had was in um, poznan poznan poland wow. at a great little whiskey bar called whiskey 88 and uh, they called whiskey 88 because it had a piano in it too so 88 keys whiskey 88 cool. and uh, great uh, single malt selection too but they love american whiskey and i said and i gave a talk there one night and uh and i've been there a couple times now and it's oh, they're just so awesome and they're just so happy um you know they have such a great sense of humor even the younger people can remember when it was communist you know and and that's so they all have this mentality they could go back to being communist tomorrow so we're going to live today and have a great time you know? <laughs> so it's really cool and i love that mentality but i asked um, the, the bartender he goes what can i make you and I said, use one of our products at Heaven Hill and make me your favorite thing. And he immediately grabbed the mellow corn bottle. Oh, wow. And I'm wow. like, <clears throat> you know, I didn't know if they, uh, they brought it. I thought they might've just brought it in, you know, for that tasting for that night, you know, whatever. And he's, and he made a perfect Manhattan, you know, with uh, with sweet and dry vermouth and that, and it was wonderful. And I'm like, how the hell do you know? He goes, I love mellow corn. I just love it. <laughs> you know, so I was like, this is awesome. You know, so, uh, uh, they're, 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 those kind of countries in Slovakia really surprised me. Um, and we were had a, had a weekend off. People in Europe don't work like we do. They actually take weekends off. <laughs> so it's cool because I get the weekend off. But the, the guy was uh, our salesperson over there. His father-in-law played bass, plays bass in a, in a bluegrass band. Mm -hmm. So there was a bluegrass festival in uh, up in the Trenčín and Teplice uh, area in, up in the mountains. And so we went to it. And so here we are eating goulash at a bluegrass festival. <laughs> and I had a flask of whiskey and everything. So that's, that's, you know, bluegrassers all over the world. Uh, but, you know, they all love whiskey. So we were playing and they heard a guy from Kentucky who played a little bluegrass was there. And that's so pressure's on. I'm from Kentucky. I'm representing bourbon and bluegrass music. And that was one of my best memories of all. And, I, and it was up in the mountains. 
And I looked down, I mean, this looks just like Eastern Kentucky. Wow. I mean, it really just so beautiful. It just was incredible. So wow. uh, that was, that was fun. That's really cool. That's really cool. So what, what instrument did they hand you? Oh, I'm a guitar player, so okay. so um, I got to play a couple of their guitars, and they were they were saying they were like, "What kind of picks are you using? What, what kind of picks?" And so now the internet, you know, makes the world a lot smaller. But they were just, you know, they were trying to, you know, just find everything. It was so funny, you know, they would they would sing like Blue Moon of Kentucky, but in Slovakian. So, you know, I'd like, you know, but you know, you can play with them because you know the music, right? right, but, right. You know. Um, and then when they, it was just, I, I thought Bill Monroe, Bill Monroe signed, this was like the 27th year of this bluegrass festival. Wow. One was like, they just had it. Wow. And I'm like, Bill Monroe would probably cry if he came and said here in, you know, in 2019, there's a 29th year of a bluegrass festival in Slovakia. I'm like, wow, mm. how cool is that? Well, he's probably cool. crying because it's one that he's never been to. <laughs> right? How the hell did I miss that? You think, you know, one guy started a genre of music that goes all over the world like that. It's pretty neat. Very cool. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Really awesome. Uh, Bernie, it's been a pleasure, buddy. Uh, we'd like to get you back on again sometime and, and kind of dig a little Turn deeper around. and have some more chats and, uh, uh, we'll beef up our bottle and bond collection. I don't, I've got a pretty good one, but, uh, sure you know, do. here's kind of something you want to look at. And they got this in Georgia. This is the only bottle and bond, great California, great brandy in the world. This is one of my little, uh, this is, uh, I'm proud to say, one of my brainchilds. So I never thought when I graduated University of Kentucky with a 2.6 cumulative <laughs> that I would launch a national brandy brand, but there it is. Awesome. So, and, and it's in Georgia, you say? It should be. Yes. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure it's in Georgia. Yeah. I'll have to take you a look. It might yeah. not be in every liquor store. You might have to ask them to order it, but that's how, that's how it gets. That's how you do it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's easy enough. I, I know the, I know the deal. Yeah, we'll do that. There for you sure. go. Tell him, tell him Bernie said you should get it. There you go. A absolutely, my friend. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show with us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for educating us and our listeners, bud. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll look forward to seeing you again. Remember, you got to stay bonded, okay? And uh, stay on it, man. So I appreciate it, guys. Thank, Thank you. you so much. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Bernie. Cheers. Bye.